Okay, welcome to episode 87 of the United Pubcast. And I can assure you this podcast won't be as boring as the title suggests. Um, obviously, we are going to have a look back at the Louis Van Hal era. Um, making sure you're wide awake, Larry, ready for this exciting podcast. Uh, mate, yeah, I am. And hello to everyone listening. Mate, I, I actually... Forget the football. Louis van Gaal, the man himself, anything but boring. What a character. Well, I think we, yeah, when we get into sort of the highs and lows of his um, time at United, I think a lot of the highs do come from sort of his touchline antics and the press conferences. You're not wrong. And um, yeah, I'm keen to rip into it. No, definitely. Now, before we get started, we'll look at... Well, before his time at United, I should say... Uh, we look at when, obviously, David Moyes was sacked. Ryan Giggs obviously came in as the interim manager, but we sort of knew Ryan Giggs wasn't going to be the man and sort of rumours did start to eventuate that Louis van Gaal was the club's sort of number one target. But the hurdle was that he was on the verge of taking Netherlands to the World Cup. And we remember all the sort of sort of media following him at the Netherlands training camp, etc., trying to get a hint, and Louis van Gaal was his usual self, sort of dropping one or two hints but not really answering the question. And just rejog my memory. We did announce him before the World Cup, didn't we? Uh, I don't. I think it was during the World Cup. But, um, I, definitely, we knew during the World Cup. Um, I, I can't recall to be yeah, honest. Yeah, we should have done our research. But um, I, I just remember there was that excitement. Sort of everyone, all United fans, sort of took um, Netherlands as their second team. Sort of really looking at how they went. Sort of that RVP link up, or what we hoped would be of sort of really fruitful relationship United will get into their time together at the club but um, I remember when the Tim Krul penalty shootout United fans loved that in terms of this. he's this tactical genius Louis van Gaal in terms of the way you went about that business and there was so much excitement in that World Cup um, Netherlands was really the story for Man United yeah oh, I'll never forget the goal Van Persie squad at that World Cup it was literally soaring through the air <laughs> a flying Dutchman if you've ever seen one and who assisted that goal do you remember uh, it was Memphis, wasn't no, it? Daily Blind. Ah, jeez. He was left back for um, Netherlands at the time. And it was a long sort of left-footed whipped cross. Or not, not even a whipped cross, like a floated cross from halfway. But yeah, that was like... What a player. That goal from Van Persie, that was a sort of a real iconic image, especially at a World Cup when you do something like that. Um, fantastic moment. But the actual announcement of Van Hal. I think the not not controversial issue for me, but what did you make of him being the first non-British manager? Obviously, David Moyes came in after Ferguson, but before that, obviously, all Scottish and English as well. Just your thoughts on, did you want to continue as the so-called tradition of British managers, or did you really not have an issue with it? No, I thought nothing of it, to be honest. I mean, you only had to look at the top coaches in European football then and even now. Um, they're all coming from all over Europe. We've passed the era of the, the... The reason that you had English and Scottish managers is because the Scottish and English leagues at the time were almost the best. Scottish football was right up there um, in terms of the pinnacle of Europe, um, which they've obviously declined. And, and that's why we were poaching the <coughs> excuse me, top managers from Scotland. Obviously, uh, European football has grown on such a scale with the rest of, with England and that's why you've seen the emergence of Jose Mourinho, Pep Guardiola, Carlo Ancelotti before them and so forth. Yeah, no, I have to say I was probably, I didn't have an issue with Van Hal coming in or a non-British manager, but there was a part of me at the time where, maybe more so under David Moyes, I was making sure whoever followed Fergie was sort of British, but there was still a part of me which would have liked to have kept the tradition. I think Ryan Giggs was potentially linked. Well, potentially, obviously, when he was interim, but we kind of knew early on. Um, I think even Brendan Rodgers' name was thrown about, etc. at the time. And obviously, Louis Van Howe on paper was the right decision to make. But um, I have to admit, and again, nothing against um, non-British managers, obviously, um, we've made a, quite a thing of it in recent years. But it is something I, at the time, I remember not hating it, but it's something I would have liked to have stuck with. But just on moving on to sort of the expectations, obviously we followed Netherlands very closely throughout the World Cup, but comparing to David Moyes, obviously David Moyes came in after Ferguson and everyone's everyone sort of question was, well, what's he won? You obviously couldn't say that with Louis van Gaal. He'd obviously done it all in the game. And it was on paper what United needed. United needed a winner to come in. 
did you expect to win straight away or did you still see sort of the problems stemming from Woodward and the Glazers? Um, I was more optimistic, I'd say, um, but definitely hopeful of a top four finish. I think after you finish seventh, I just thought it was unrealistic to say, okay, ready to challenge for titles again. Um, you know, anyone with common sense saw that, yes, it wasn't a side that should have finished seventh, but, you you know, you look at the players who left, um, there was a lot of experience leaving, and that meant, you know, you have the massive rebuild, not just the playing field, but in terms of leadership, and you, you lose people who were you know, quote-unquote, part of the furniture. So that was always going to be a, a tough a tough gig. Well, speaking of a tough gig, we'll look at his transfer business when he first came into the club, and first of all, we'll look at the actual outs. And this is where you almost have to think, which we've discussed in recent podcasts in terms of the, the side Ferguson left David Moyes and what David Moyes had to deal with, etc. But you look at what Van Hal or sort of what left when he arrived, was Ryan Giggs obviously retired, Nani left on loan. Wilfred Zaha left on loan. Jesse Lingard um, was on loan at Derby. Nick Powell went on loan. Anderson left. Rio Ferdinand left. Nemanja Vidic left. Darren Fletcher left. Who else we got? Makeda um, left. Tom Cleverley left. Patrice Evra left. Chicharito went to Real Madrid on loan. Uh, who else was there? Bebe, obviously a huge signing. Bebe went back to Benfica. <laughs> Wilfred Zaha, I just mentioned, I think that was made... Um, Permanent Crystal Palace, Alexander Butner left, Shinji Kagawa and Danny Welbeck. So is there any players there? I know you've got a soft spot for Nani. Is there any players there that you really would have preferred Van Hal kept? Um, well, obviously Nani, yeah, because if I'm being honest, <laughs> to, to this day, I don't feel like we've had a winger since um, to occupy the right-hand side. And even up until recently, you could argue the left-hand side was left quite empty. Um, you were saying Lingard went on loan. I'm certain he had his debut game. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm just looking at the department. Might, he might have gone throughout. Um, I'm not, this doesn't have dates. But yeah, I remember he had got injured in that first game against Swansea. So, um, yeah, possibly during the season. Yeah, you're right. He, he was injured. Maybe he went on loan after that. But yeah, it was, um, but, I mean, you agree with most of those who left. But, you know, it's just, again, it's just such a massive exodus. So that means it's very hard to be build instant success after all those bodies leave. Well, the one for me, and everyone has a little bit of laugh about this name, but I was devastated and I thought it was the wrong decision when Danny Welbeck was sold, and especially to Arsenal. And now we can all look at how it didn't work out for Arsenal or Welbeck um, sort of in hindsight, but I think that was a mistake, especially I felt that at the time. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And like we've said this before, whenever a United junior leaves, and he was established, you know, that this is someone who'd been in the first team, what was it, three, four years? So, yeah, it was It was definitely a shame to see him go, particularly in Fergie's last season. You felt like he was really making strides forward. But, you know, as we saw as it panned out at Arsenal, he's he was always going to be a squad player, and it turns out he hasn't been a massive loss, just simply because he's really struggled to stay fit. Yeah, no, 100%. Now, I'll just look over to the arrivals column, and there are some names you can um, sort of bring back some memory. Victor Valdez was signed. Here it has Jesse Lingard returned to the club, so yeah, that must have happened at some stage throughout the season. It has Paddy McNair, Tyler Black, and James Wilson were promoted to the first team. Um, Falcao was obviously signed on loan, and then the big money sign-ins were um, Daly Blind, Marcus Rojo, Ander Herrera, Luke Shaw, and obviously the big one, Angel Di Maria. Now you just look at that on paper in terms of those last five or six names. Could you imagine now, now I know this transfer window coming up is going to be sort of, you have to take it into context in terms of what the coronavirus will have done to the market. But could you cast your mind back and look at those big six names and how much money was spent, like how much excitement there would have been amongst the fan base? Yeah, I mean, even at the time, there was a huge amount of excitement. Um, Di Maria and... I don't know about you, but I was hot for Falcao, mate. He was an unreal footballer. I know he just came off uh, his ACL injury, but watching him for Atletico, he was an, an absolute monster in and around the box. Could score every kind of goal, powerful, quick. So, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a reason to be optimistic. But even with all those signings, did you ever feel like we could go beyond top four? For me, it just... It always seemed like top four was the goal. Well, I, I looked at that front line and just a, a front line of sort of Van Persie, Rooney and Falcao, I thought it just, it doesn't matter how bad you are, you're going to score goals and you're going to win games. And I remember you just mentioned there Falcao. I remember, as anyone does, is we'll sort of watch their YouTube compilations when you're about to sign a player. And I remember watching a Falcao video and I remember it went for eight minutes 
and it was eight minutes of goals, but they were eight minutes of just bombs, like just like bicycle kicks and like volleys from 35 yards. And it, was, it wasn't every goal, it was just like 50 of his best. And it went for eight minutes, and yeah, I thought we were on the verge of title number 21. Um, obviously not, because I felt bad for him. I just think, I don't know if it was English football or it was his, his um, previous knee injury. It just He just didn't look physically right to play professional football in England. Yeah, I think it was just the perfect storm, in my opinion. Because yeah. if you look at the way he played, he was quite a physical yeah. player. And so I think it was just possibly coming off an ACL injury. And he, he was in his peak years, in theory. But I th- that was his first major injury, um, if, I, if I've got that right. And to, to do your ACL, and you'd know, that as a footballer, there's no worse injury you could do. Mm. Besides a leg break, there's no worse injury you could do. So to try and build your confidence in a phys- not just a physical league, but arguably it'd be the quickest league in Europe. That's very difficult to do. Yeah. No. Well, speaking of Falcao, I think he came off because obviously the transfer window goes into the season back then. It has obviously changed since. But um, it took us a while to get a, um, a win because obviously we lost the first game away at Swansea. Um, or sorry, at home, at home to Swansea, where Rooney scored in the 2-1 loss. But it took us until our fourth game, which was against QPR. And I remember Falcao came off the bench and missed a chance where he would have made it 5-0. But um, I think Di Maria may have scored, or I remember Matt has scored. Um, I forget, I think it was 4-0 against QPR. But that start under Van Hal, with all the excitement of sort of the new manager and all these new players... Do you remember not winning for three games and what it felt like? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it wasn't too dissimilar because we saw it under David Moyes. Um, it was the, it was our new normal, Tom. But yeah, um, I do remember that. And that's when the question started to be asked of him. And um, yeah, it's an interesting moment. I'll never forget, for me, the highlight of that first season was uh, the 5-3 against Leicester. And I know that... Now, hold I know it's a low light, but I'm saying a highlight in terms of something that sticks out in your minds because the football we were playing prior to the meltdown was some of the best football I have seen post-Fergie under United. Um, we were, especially Di Maria's goal. It was filthy. It, it was so good to, to, to watch. And then obviously we capitulated, but uh, yeah, that, that was a super strange game. And then... From for me, and I'm keen to see what you think. That was the moment where we saw the more pragmatic, pragmatic style of football. It was like Van Gaal took a realization to I can't leave this defense exposed, and then we saw the football that we've you know come to see until he left. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think if a manager gets hurt like that, whether it be a player or a manager, when they get hurt like that, I think it's understandable they go back into their shells and what they know. And as you say, we were playing so well. I remember that Falcao and Van Persie link up for the first goal. Di Maria's chip. He linked up with Rooney, then beautiful chip over the goalkeeper. And Herrera scored a back heel. It looked like we are flying. But that game, and look, you get what you deserve in football, or, or sometimes so, some would say. But I forget who the ref was. Was it Clattenburg or Mike Dean? I forget. Whoever the ref was, obviously, I hate him. But... Raphael, Jamie Vardy and Raphael. Raphael was shadowing the ball out for a corner and Jamie Vardy just came in and just a clear shoulder barge straight in the middle of the back. Clear foul. It was just Jamie Vardy in frustration. But the referee played on. Raphael chased back, didn't touch him, but obviously a United player running into the box on the back of a defender. Jamie Vardy flops over, gets the penalty, and that changed the game. And I think not only changed the game, it changed the season. It changed Van Hal's approach to football at United. It changed Raphael's future because Van Hal obviously couldn't trust him then. And it was all down to what I think was, and again, not to sound bitter about it, but one of the worst refereeing decisions I've seen. It was bad, yeah. And look, I know all football fans cry wolf, um, but that penalty call was honestly one of the worst penalty calls I've seen in recent times. No doubt about it. It was appalling. Look, and United look only have themselves to blame for, as you say, capitulating. But, um, yeah, that is one I always feel bad for Raphael there because I think that while at the start of the season, I think that sort of did mark the end of his United time really in Van Hal's eyes. Now, you talk, you talk about that being a low light. I think a lot of people say this next game was the low light. I personally don't agree because I think you have to take into context who played. But what do you remember, because I don't really remember anything, of the MK Dons 4-0 League Cup? I think the most memorable thing is Deli Ali, if I'm being honest. Oh, yeah. Um, he, that yeah, was he where... Played, didn't he? 
Yeah, and that's where all the hype started around him. Um, obviously ended up at Spurs. And I just remember, I believe he played Kagawa in central midfield that game. And uh, that was almost his card stamped as well to say, you know, no, no more future for you. But again, like Kagawa won again. You, this is one I just I felt a little bit sorry for him. Like he was always an attacking an attacking midfielder or a more advanced midfielder. So I just thought it was really harsh to try and tell a player to play a position he's never played at a professional level. And as soon as he didn't succeed, it was just yeah, uh, closed the curtain on him. So. Yeah, it was a strange one, but that's probably the most memorable. Two midfielders for different reasons. Yeah, no. I, looking back, I can't really remember anything about that. I think maybe Andreas Pereira played. It might have been his debut as well. I forget, but I remember it being such a makeshift side. Obviously, you lose to a team like that. 4-0 is going to make headlines, but um, it was a team of kids, and the kids, you go on to look what they've achieved in the game. You'd say it probably wasn't the best bunch of kids as well. But... um. One of the highs, or it was a bit of a, it was t- sort of towards the end of the season, or second part of the season at least, it was sort of a three-game run, and I forget which order these games came in, but we played Spurs at home, we beat them 3-0, we had a Liverpool away, which was obviously the one matter double, and City at home, where we beat them 4-2, and it was that part of the season, we'd already been knocked out of Europe, but, no, no, we hadn't been knocked, we obviously weren't in Europe that season, but um, we were coming into that part of the season, a challenge for the top four, and it just looked like things were clicking because our three big teams and three, not not just three good results, but our three clearly dominant performances. Yeah, and that's where Van Gaal got the reputation for, much like Solskjaer now, which is strange. Of course, it's not identical situations, but uh, Van Gaal was really good against the top teams. Um, and, and that's where that reputation really started to stem from. Obviously, we went to Liverpool earlier in the season, uh, the famous one field, um, but... Yeah, the results, um, particularly against City, I'll, I'll, that game really does stick out in my mind. I just, I, I'll never forget Ashley Young crossing for a Fellaini goal in a Manchester City derby because it just said everything that was wrong, <laughs> but uh, it was almost like everything that you know it started to finally click again um, since the start of the season. That was the most attacking football we had seen. Well, they had a bit of a link up Ashley Young and Fellaini. Not, not only they've obviously had it since in terms of the last couple of seasons, but I remember that season. I think there was a big goal away at Crystal Palace. I remember Fellaini scored a late winner and I'm positive that it was an Ashley yep. Young cross. And um, whether that was something that Van Hal obviously did trust. Because I think Fellaini, because he obviously had that, I wouldn't say horror season under David Moyes, but Van Hal sort of did sort of turn to him quite a fair bit. And there was that, I remember that famous game out at West Brom. I forget he fell 2-0 down or I think it ended in a 2 all draw. I forget the order of the scoring. But there was that sort of real controversy. Fellaini was on the bench and Van Hal turned around and there was these memes going around, go on and score me the winner or sort of cancel your contract, etc. But I remember West Brom at the time, their Twitter account said, Man United are about to make a sub. Oh, it's okay though, it's only Fellaini coming on. And there was a real, okay, there's banter is banter, however, that's very disrespectful in terms of his professional footballer in the middle of a game. Um, it got a lot of backlash and obviously Fellaini went on and scored his first goal for the club and it was actually one of his sort of best goals for United. It was a cracking goal. Yeah, um, Fellaini, I mean, we've said this numerous times on this podcast now. Fellaini scored big goals and up until Solskjaer, every every single manager we had that he felt he, that he was under, they all loved him. They all relied on him and they all trusted him. Um, so, you know, again... Us as football fans might not necessarily agree with everything that managers do, but for whatever reason, a lot of managers trusted Fellaini. So you have to say he was obviously the ultimate professional. Now, looking back at this season, we've sort of picked out those couple handful of games. I'm sure there's a couple more we have forgotten about, but before we move on to next season, which obviously had a lot more ups and downs and a lot of more talking points, just a last point on this season in terms of what did you make of... We all say, if we're not going to make the Champions League, I don't want to make the Europa League. I'd rather no European football at all so we can concentrate on the league. And I think when it comes to those last couple of games, when you're weighing up sort of your potential options, a lot of people say, oh, no, I'll stuff it, qualify for the Europa League. I want European football, etc. Just what did you make of sort of the impact of not playing in Europe under Van Hal's first season? Like, do you think it made a real sort of positive step to make the top four or...? No doubt. Uh, 
especially, I mean, we've seen the lack of depth um, even this season at United, but I found that that's the biggest thing that we've, uh, that, you know, Manchester United suffered from since Fergie's left is we have never since recovered in terms of having depth in all positions. And uh, not being a, not competing on the European front, I think that really helped because while we were well stocked up front, obviously Rooney, uh, Falcao, Van Persie, even James Wilson at that point, everywhere else didn't really seem quite stocked. Particularly defense at that time was really thin, so it definitely helped. And I'd even go as far to say as if we were competing in Europe, I'd possibly we don't make top four. Yeah, no, very well. Well, we've almost got the same conundrum now. Obviously, we do hope to qualify for the top four, assuming that um, the season does get back underway. But we very well like could find ourselves in fifth or sixth, and then you think, well, could it be better for Solskjaer to be without Europa League football? But um, who knows if European football will even be a thing next year with sort of travel, etc. That's obviously a hurdle. We will cross in the near future, but we'll look at the, obviously moving on now, they're in the 2015-16 window. Um, let us know if we forgot anything major from the 14-15 season. But we'll move on to the outs of the 15-16 season, and I'll start from the bottom. Is there James Wilson left on loan, Tyler Blackett left on loan, Tom Cleverley moved to Everton, Yanazai, who I remember started well under Van Hal, but never quite got going, um, went to Borussia Dortmund on loan, if you remember that. Um, other notable ones now were obviously Raphael to Leon, which broke my heart. Nani uh, left, Van Persie left, um, obviously brought to an end his time under Van Hal. Johnny Evans, Chicharito and Angel Di Maria finished his one season at United. Anyone there that, obviously the answer for me is Raphael, but anyone there sort of stick out as a big mistake in terms of letting him go? Raphael, absolutely a monumentous mistake. Um... I don't think we've had a fullback prior to this season since Raphael's left. So that, that says everything. Um, I thought Johnny Evans, I thought that was a strange one to let go. Um, again, just if you look at the defenders who we had at the time, he was quite solid. Uh, yeah, I get he wasn't everyone's favourite. Maybe not the most physical centre-half. Yes, he had a mistake in him. But bloody hell, he was better than Phil Jones. Um, even back then he was. So I thought that that was a strange one. Um, again, a, a United junior as well. Um other than that, you'd have to say that that list was quite right. Um, James Wilson had opportunities in that first season, didn't really take them, didn't really get on the score sheet too much, um, and he just was riddled with injuries. James Wilson is one of those ones where, you know, I don't want to digress too much, Tom, so please interrupt me if I waffle, but um, Wilson's the one that you held high hopes for if he followed youth football, so it was disappointing, but probably the right decision in the end. Well, I think the one that sort of baffled and sort of angered a lot of people was Chicharito. And look, everyone loves Chicharito. He's fantastic for United. But I remember the way we played under Van Hal. I thought Chicharito's probably the worst player for a Van Hal system. And this is the weirdest comparison in terms of the way you look at a player. Because Chicharito is a little white guy. And I want to compare him to Lukaku, who was a big black guy. But I think they're so similar in the way they play. Um, They look completely different in terms of the visual when you watch it. But I think in terms of what they bring to a team is exactly the same. They have to be in the box and chances have to be created for them. And Chicharito just, his build-up play was, looked to be kind, was simply awful. I agree 100%. Chicharito and Lukaku are twins in, if you forget the visual of the bodies, the way they play is honestly identical. So no, that's a great comparison. Yeah, but um, it was sort of still. While I agree with letting Chicharito go, it still was sad because um, he was a player that obviously everyone loved at United. But we'll go into the arrivals, and who we got here? We've got uh, Marcus Rashford was obviously promoted throughout the season, but Sergio Romero was brought in. Uh, Bastian Schweinsteig was brought in from Bayern Munich. Matteo Damian, Memphis Depay, Morgan Schneiderlin, and obviously on the last day of the transfer window, Anthony Martial. What sticks out for you there, besides Martial, obviously, um, being a big money sign-in? Anyone else sort of stand out as one you had real hopes for? Oh, it has to be Memphis. Um, That was the one where, you know, there was a huge media build-up, the lazy comparisons with Ronaldo because he wore the number seven and he took free kicks. I think we actually signed him before the previous season had finished. Yeah, that's right. That's right, yeah. He was signed outside the transfer window. I remember the signing going through. Um so you'd have to say Memphis. I mean, there was hopes for Schneiderlin, of course, because, you know, he played quite well at Southampton. But Memphis was the one that he people really had a high belief that he could hit superstardom. 
and then unfortunately it just didn't happen for him well I remember the one for me and it has to be Schweinsteiger and deep down you knew it was the wrong sign in the, or maybe not the wrong sign at the wrong time but it was just Schweinsteiger five years too late I think he still could have contributed well which I think he did I don't think he was bad as many people made out but it was one where even though deep down you knew it wasn't going to be what it could have been, you still had that hope that... And there was so much excitement around him. Like he had a song after a couple of games, etc. The fans loved him. I remember Ryan Giggs um, spoke once in an interview saying he'd never seen a player come to United and take to United so quickly. And what by that he meant in terms of sort of all his duties, in terms of his professionalism and his media duties, etc. But also the way he sort of approach young players, talk to young players, set an example around around the training ground in terms of what Ryan Giggs would see as a leader at Man United. He, he often says Schweinsteiger was just absolutely brilliant around the club in that regard. Obviously on the pitch it didn't quite work out, but um, yeah, I was devastated it didn't work out for Schweinsteiger. And it's not a Mourinho podcast, but um, I still do remember the treatment, um, well, I call it treatment, but Schweinsteiger's relationship with Mourinho and it ended up with Mourinho's almost publicly apologising to Schweinsteiger and bringing him back into the team. Yeah, I do recall. It was a strange one. Um, look, they have to say, I did have high... Oh, can't speak. I did have high hopes for Schweinsteiger. Um, obviously, for what he's achieved in the game, even as recent as the 2014 World Cup, he was you know, still contributed. and He was a wonderful footballer, but I think, yeah, he just had a series of knee injuries and that killed him. I, you would have loved to see, even if we got him, say, three years earlier... Like, oh my goodness, what an unreal signing that would have been. But, yeah, I mean, unfortunate. And that's the thing. I felt like that season, if you just look at that transfer window, like in terms of bodies, you're saying it looks quite promising. But I just I looked at the midfield signings of Schneiderlin and Schweinsteiger. I saw Di Maria leave. And I thought with I always thought we looked a little bit thin up top. I was kind of surprised not to see a striker come in because we saw... I mean, I know Martial, but, you know, he wasn't really a striker when he was at Monaco. He actually played in a lot in the wide areas. So um, I just thought we looked really thin when you just had Rooney, an aging Rooney at that up front. And no striker brought in. We let Van Persie and Falcao go. And, yeah, as we saw as the season went out, um, it did give an opportunity to one local junior. Well, rejoin my memory. I'm pretty sure I remember Martial when he came in. Obviously, he came off the bench in the first game. But after that, after that, I think he pretty much played up front until I think he had sort of a dry spell and he maybe got injured. And then when he came back, then he went on to the left. But I think he pretty much came in as our number nine. Obviously, he was, obviously he was given the number nine shirt, but I think he was pretty much the number one choice of Van Hal up front. I think Rooney played a little bit deeper. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Martial did play a lot of nine. I guess I just at the time when you saw the signing, I didn't, I wasn't convinced that that was. If I'm being entirely honest with you, Tom, I knew Martial from a couple FIFAs ago when he didn't even have a, a face. And then he'd, he'd be one of those players you'd turn in career mode to achieve, uh, you know, the unlimited potential. Um, so, you know, but obviously I didn't see him play, so I didn't really have super high hopes. Between Memphis and Martial when they were signed, I guarantee you and most people would have said, oh, Memphis is the superstar here. Yeah. Well, just on Martial, do you think that's probably one of the highlights of Van Hal's era in terms of that... Not not so much a signing. You could almost give that as a as a general overview. It's a highlight of Van Hal's time at United. But in terms of individual games and moments, we'll get into maybe the semi final against Everton later. But his debut goal against Liverpool that's still talked about now. Whenever that goes sort of viral around Twitter, that still gets fans' emotions going. Is that the best? Debut a Manchester United player could wish for. I mean, you could say, oh, Rooney scored a damn hat trick in the Champions League, but like from a pure United fan emotionally, like you come on off the bench in your debut, you're a teenager and you score against Liverpool, and just the manner in which he scored, he, he turned, I think it was Skirtle, yeah. made him look stupid, and then that calm finish, unreal. Yeah, now we'll get into, again, hopefully games that sort are of pop into our mind as we start um, talking. But the, just the point we've got written down here is where it started to turn bad. Because I think we started that season quite well, especially compared to previous season, or the previous season under Van Hal. And there was a little bit of good feel-good feel factor, obviously the new signings, and there was that hope. However, I remember going into that December, and especially that Christmas period, it turned bad, and it turned bad very quickly. I still remember those... I think there was about three or four games around Christmas. There was a way at Stoke. I think we lost at home to Norwich and maybe Southampton, etc., I remember the one at Stoke where um, Memphis Depay tried that back header 
and there was that meme, or the, the meme still goes around now. He had like 25 meters to head the ball, and his header went about two meters. And I remember that after those three games, I think Van Hal almost even in his press conference came out and just said, "Look, I might not even get sacked. I might resign," or alluded to that fact that that's a possibility. And um, do you remember how bad it got over those three games or that Christmas period? I do because I swear to you, Tom, that Norwich game Oof, when we lost. Yeah. Oh no, sorry, we won. We won one nil. That has to be. I know we won. I think it was the most boring victory I've, I've ever watched oh, the, in the history well, of football. That, oh my yeah, goodness! That win was. I think that was quite late in the season because I remember that was a game. One matter scored quite a late goal. And we're watching it here in um, our old pub in Sydney with the Man United supporters club here. And I remember, I think it was a Sunday night, so there weren't many people. There was about 10 of us there, and we are just sort of sitting in front of the TV. And obviously there was a cheer when the goal went in. But I remember at full time, and it must have been sort of maybe a Sunday night for us. It must have been a little bit after midnight. It must have been an early kickoff. And we were all just sitting there after a big win, sort of in our sort of hope for top four and Champions League football. We were just sitting there just going, get this guy out of this club. Like that was, After a big win, we were so filthy with that performance. Like, it, it was weird. Usually you sort of don't really care if you get the result but the, that performance really just the resu- the feeling of the emotion of the goal literally lasted 10 seconds and um but going back to the Christmas trip where we lost at home to Norwich um at Old Trafford yeah I remember Van Howe it was so close to getting the sack and maybe jog my memory Ted Mourinho just been sacked from Chelsea or maybe a month or two before yeah yeah so his name was out yeah. there there was a lot of pressure um see Mourinho wanted to, which obviously did want the job because he ended up getting it but I think one or two sort of into Milan people were saying well we would like him to come back but he's agreed to go to United and that added pressure on Van Hal then the results got worse I thought he was going to get the sack yeah I'm with you there was a game I think it was against Chelsea I could have that wrong. I'm certain there was a game against Chelsea where you felt if we lose this one, that's it. He's gone. Um, and then I think we mad- we managed to get a draw. Um, yeah, it was it was really bad. I mean, we had us in his defence. We had a lot of injuries at the time. I, I recall there being a lot of players not being fit. Um, but yeah, which obviously I, I was going to lead into Rashford. Unless you want to touch on something else, but. Yeah, um, it has to be one of the worst periods. Just like, and look, I know people say it's a results-driven business; only the results matter. But I'm sorry, as a United fan, we just have an expectation for a style of football. Well, just the, you can credit. Yeah, sorry, go for it. Yeah, no, just in regards to, and maybe it's coming to light recently. I remember Van Hal was speaking a couple of weeks ago. Just in regards to, he felt he was going to get the sack, which obviously proved true. What did you think of the clubs, if you can cast your mind back to how you felt then as to oppose the information we have now, in terms of him being a dead man walking, in terms of the club's treatment of him, do you think the club it would have been better off just sacking him or having him sort of hanging by a noose, letting him go on, letting him go on just while you wait for Mourinho to be available? Like, do you sort of stand by the club did the right thing? or Because ultimately we didn't make the Champions League. So do you think it was a mistake not sacking him at the time? It's a hard one. I I look at... With Van Gaal, I, I kind of look at it in hindsight and I always wonder what could have been because if you look at that period in isolation, you say he should have gone. But then you just saw what we achieved in terms of the FA Cup and then you just think it, maybe he was building on something. So I don't think it's really... I don't think it's right to assess a, a manager or you know any manager for a certain period of time. I mean, I, I, we're still in in the race for the Champions League. So I agreed with keeping him as long as the plan was to genuinely keep him. If if Woodward knew he was always going to get Mourinho from December, which from reports, it was this deal was done months in advance, then they should have let him go. Because I just thought, you know, for yeah. what he's achieved in the game, it, it was really disrespectful. Yeah, no, I think I definitely sit on that side of the fence. But just a name, which I didn't even write down beforehand, but you just have jogged my memory a couple of times. We might as well spend a couple of minutes... Speaking about, obviously, Marcus Rashford and his emergence onto the scene. Just, um, it was against, obviously, Midgieland in the Europa League after we'd been knocked out of the Champions League. But um, just your thoughts or memories of Marcus Rashford coming through? Uh, I remember the... Uh, I think it was in the, in the warm-up. They said, oh, we have breaking news. Uh, Martial's um, not fit. 
and um, will we have a, a young Marcus Rashford will be making his debut. Um, from what I had seen of him, he actually I actually saw most of his football on the wing. I, I if I'm being honest, I don't recall watching any games of him playing striker. So I did think it was a weird one to see him up front, but as we saw in the game, um, he just had an unreal. It was just one of those weird ones because if you watched him through the youth academy, like through the academy, he didn't have he wasn't known for composure. But that game, it all just clicked for well, him. When he came in, okay, those goals, the goal against City, the goal against Arsenal. I remember probably his best goal for me was the one away at West Ham in the FA Cup. All these goals were sort of unbelievable finishes. But as you say, him going through youth football, finishing probably wasn't his strong point. I remember he played on the on the right-hand side quite a bit with Joe Riley, And they just had sort of more power and more energy than the players they were up against, which is why they stood out. But in terms of ability and that, yeah, as you say, composure in front of goal, look, I don't want to say, oh, it was a weakness of Rashford's, but it definitely wasn't his strength. But when he came into senior football, it definitely definitely looked like his strength from the get go. From the get go. Yeah, and you know this. You know, in football, scoring goals gives you confidence, and luck plays a major part in whether a young player who might even have more talent might not get the opportunity. Rashford took his, and as we've seen, he's he's still in the team today. He's worked hard on his game, and. He is where he is today, but yeah, he, he's had, he had a dream debut, and um, he he proved it. For, I think he did. He finish with eight or nine goals that I think season. He got up there. Yeah, he definitely. I don't think he hit double figures, but he, I think he was very consistent. He had sort of those last ten games of the season. He was always popping them in, but just which I forget to I forgot to mention earlier. But just as I mentioned, we're in the Europa League. It rejogged my memory about the obviously Champions League campaign that season, and the standout memory for me. Is away at Wolfsburg on the final day of the group stage. I, th- I forget if we needed a draw or we needed a win. I forget what it was. But um, I remember... I think it was a win. I think we needed a win. But we definitely needed a goal. And we're chasing the game and one matter was on the field. I forget if he was having a good game or a bad game. It didn't matter. He, pardon the pun. But he obviously brought Nick <laughs> Powell on. He subbed matter and brought Nick Powell on when we needed a goal. And I remember that time, it must have been, what's the end of the group stage in Champions League? It must be the start of December before that bad run, before the Christmas period. I thought, I can't believe that decision. Like, I don't care if if Messi is in bad form and you're on the bench. I'm not putting you on for Messi. I'm going to keep Messi on there and hope something happens. But I just thought, bringing Nick Powell on when your sort of Champions League hopes are on the line to take a World Cup winner off in one matter and bring on Nick Powell, who took sort of... <laughs> he was a woeful player for United um, I, that was one of the worst decisions I've seen and I remember I didn't turn on Van Hal, but he made it very difficult for me yeah I mean look I, I do agree with you it's a hard one right because when you're trying to change the game I can understand the logic behind wanting to take someone like one mutter off um, you know he wasn't creating a lot in that game so you know I, I get it because at the end of the day, if you give a kid an opportunity, maybe he takes it. If Nick Powell puts a, sets up a goal or puts the ball in the back of the net, we're not having this conversation right now. You know what I mean? So it's easy to say it in hindsight, but uh, yeah, I got to say at the time it did seem a strange decision. But on to the other version of cup football, and probably the highlight, definitely the highlight under Van Hal was that FA Cup run. And just before you touch on the final, um, probably again weirdly the bigger moment in that FA Cup or the bigger moment in that season was the semi final win. Um, against Everton and that Anthony Martial goal late on. Why do you think... Because when you look at the Jesse Lingard goal, that was an extra time winner as well. Why do you think the Martial goal sort of sort of brought more emotion in terms of that sort of release of energy? Yeah, it's a weird one. Uh, and I, I agree with you 100%, by the way. I think that was a bigger, bigger emotional uh, relief and celebration than the, the final. I think... That has to be because of the season we had endured. And, you know, it kind of... It was probably the... I don't. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Do you remember the last time we scored a late, uh, like a late winner yeah. in a game, and the fact that it was a semi final? Uh, I just think it was almost nostalgia for us. So that's why there was just that huge relief of emotion. Um, but even the fans, uh, uh, sorry, the players were reveling in it. Uh, yeah. I remember they just all ran over, and there's a famous shot of uh, you can see Chris Smalling yeah. with his eyes closed, and yeah, it, it was brilliant. We'll move on to the final, which I still think is an underrated final in terms of people don't give it the credit that it was due um, winning it, the FA Cup. But um, just your memories of, of that FA Cup, obviously Chris Smalling just mentioned, obviously got sent off. 
went on late into the game, and I think Palace scored probably around the 70th or something minute, and it looked like just one of those, oh my God, it's going to happen, Palace are going to beat us, and just, I remember sitting at the pub just absolutely devastated, thinking, just written in the stars, it couldn't get any worse under Van Hal, he's going to get sacked next week, and we're going to lose the FA Cup to Crystal Palace, for God's sake, and it was just all doom and gloom. But um, I remember it, it simply changed on Wayne Rooney doing something that he hadn't done all season, when he played in that midfield role, he sort of played that quarterback role and sort of pinged the ball all around the pitch or kept possession with sideway passes. But there was a time with 10 minutes to go in the cup final, he picked the ball up on halfway and just started dribbling and just going past... I think he went past like three or four players before getting to the goal line and sort of floating across in and it ended up falling to Matter who um, sort of buried it. But um, just your memory of that first goal? Yeah, the the Rooney goal, you, you stole the words out of my mouth. It was Rooney decided to be the 20-year-old again. Um, I, I, my criticism of Rooney, and which is crazy to say he's my favourite player um, in my lifetime at United, but my criticism of him was that there came a period in his career where he stopped dribbling past people. Like, even the seasons where he was scoring, like, um, ridiculous amount of goals, he just didn't, he just stopped dribbling people. More about putting himself in good positions, but uh, yeah, that was really good. Um, I thought the goal was brilliant, and then obviously the Lingard finish, unreal. It was a volley, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, well, th- I think that's a very underrated goal. I think it deserves a lot more credit. One, for the actual technique of the goal, in terms of it was a fantastic finish. It came at him quite quickly. He's hit it sweetly, he's hit it sweetly right into the top corner. But also the context, it being in extra time, the second half of extra time in an FA Cup final away at Wembley in front of the United fans. I think it's, it doesn't go down as it, but it really should go down as sort of one of the club's greatest moments. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it was a dramatic finish and a wonderful finish by Lingard, who at the time, I know people like to joke about his age, but he was a young player at that time. He was 22, 23. Well, a, young, so, a young youth product coming through and scoring the winner at Wembley in an FA Cup final. It was, it, I, I say it again, it really should be remembered more fondly than it is. Yeah, I feel sorry for Lingard, but we could do a whole podcast on him. But uh, yeah, it, it was fantastic. But unfortunately, as we know, it was the end of, uh, it was the end of Louis. Well, that's the thing, though, just on there, just on to his sacking, because I remember I remember at the um, pub when we were watching, it must have been four or five or six in the morning, and there was a bit of, not tension, everyone was having a little bit of a joke when, obviously, the players went up to their, get their medals, and Van Hal was going up there, and everyone had their finger on the button. We knew Van Hal was going to get the sack, and everyone was saying, oh, do you cheer him, or do we build, do we still like him, or do we not? And it was, like, everyone also gave him a huge sort of cheer when he lifted the cup. But um, there was that sadness. I don't know if it was sadness, but it was a little bit of um, emotional knowing that you feel sorry for him. And he's come this far. He's finally he's won the FA Cup for us. But you knew that he was going to get stabbed in the back as soon as he walked down those stairs. Yeah, and that's the thing. I just I don't like the way the club handled it. I just thought it was really poor. Um, whatever you thought of Van Gaal, again, he's just achieved so much in the game. This is a guy who's won Champions League twice, if I'm not mistaken. Um you know, he's, he's achieved a lot in football. I just thought it was dead wrong. But I want to throw this at you, Tom, because it's only something I've probably only come to realise now that we're seeing it with Solskjaer. If you look at it, what, um, you know, he had a three-year project, Van Gaal. And if you look at what he did, it was clear to me that he was definitely building on something. You know, we finished with the FA Cup. Um, he was definitely putting more emphasis on youth. Yeah, the football at times was horrible to watch, but... Obviously, got results against the big sides. So you just you can't help but wonder if we gave him that third season, you give him some astute signings, maybe just maybe we go on and achieve great things. Well, I think a few players have alluded to that in the past. I think Rooney's come out and said um, maybe he shouldn't have been sacked, and there was something there that the players could see was happening. I think Ryan Giggs is very, and obviously Ryan Giggs was the assistant and quite close to him. But Giggs always mentions how good he was. Um, while also alluding to, okay, the football wasn't great, but something was there. And I think I always go back to looking at the previous managers, take Solskjaer out of it. You look at David Moyes, Louis van Gaal and Jose Mourinho, and I say, if you had to go back and stick with one of them, I think the van Gaal is almost the correct decision. I think, I I don't really, I I wouldn't agree with any argument that suggests, um, obviously no one's going to argue for David Moyes, but if it became Mourinho and van Gaal, who who should we have kept... I think it has to be Van Hal. 
Oh, you know what? I want to say I 100% agree with you, but damn, that was some of the most boring football I've watched in my life. It was. No, like, 100%, could you... <laughs> however, just in, what, in regards to what you allude to, in terms of, well, in the third season, do you think what was potentially building it wouldn't have been that boring? Yeah, tongue-in-cheek, obviously, yeah. but no, I spot-on agree. I mean, a lot of what we talk about when we say the United philosophy, Van Gaal displayed a lot of that besides the entertaining football, but I'd argue that once he had the squad he wanted and, a, and the team he trusted the attacking football would have come. Well, just from which we touched on a little bit before, you mentioned Solskjaer in terms of similarities in terms of the results. Josh left a comment on Facebook saying, why was he so good against the big teams? He never lost to Liverpool in the Premier League, only one loss to City, but was obviously painfully shite against a lot of the smaller clubs. We almost see that with Solskjaer, and we give credit to Solskjaer in terms of those big games, saying he sort of tactically changes things up, but we sort of lack the individual quality against those smaller clubs. In terms of Van Hal, why was he so good in those big teams and against the big teams? Was it purely down to tactics and we, we just didn't have the players against the smaller clubs or was his tactical still uh, his tactical side of the game still a downfall against the smaller clubs? I think Van Hal is, is obviously a tactical genius. He, he is, and you, we've seen Rooney say it. He, and he doesn't say it to discredit Fergie, but he says like Van Gaal's the best coach he's worked with in terms of what he learnt. Mm. Um, there's no doubt you can't beat top sides. And not just that, you're beating top sides when you have inferior players. Um, unless you have something about you. And the thing is, he didn't always play counter-attacking football. Like, Oli sets up to play counter-attack against these sides and with the side set up in a certain shape. Van Gaal didn't always do that. We, at times, would still have a good amount of possession. I remember against City when we beat them 4-2. We had a decent amount of football. Um, so he, he was definitely very intelligent. I think with the, the lesser sides... I don't know if it was a tactical thing, but I think he just didn't trust his defence enough to let the forwards be... Just the movement wasn't... It was quite rigid. I, think, I know that was the big criticism, and I just think he didn't trust the defence enough to let the attack push forward and the midfield push forward. Yeah, no, I think and hard to sort of argue with him when you have Phil Jones and Chris Smalling at the back. Um, I wouldn't trust them either. Well, in saying that, I probably wouldn't be opposed to Chris Smalling returning to the club at the moment. Um, given the challenges Mike Smalling was a monster yeah, well, he, however. he did turn into Mike Smalling didn't he um, after that red card <laughs> at City but I think it just about wraps up now we'll move just before we wrap up the podcast that was all the on field stuff but as we said at the start of the podcast a lot of his hires did come from the sideline and obviously we all which we touched on a couple of podcasts ago his dive um, in front of Arsene Wenger on, in the Arsenal match at Old Trafford but a lot of his hires did come in the press conferences just wondering if you have sort of a favourite moment or a favourite quote from his time in front of the mic? Uh, sometimes I tell my players to be horny. That has to be. <laughs> that has to be I the best. I, honestly. <laughs> Matt was next to him in that press conference and the camera just sort of panned to Matter and he's like trying not to laugh, he was trying not to smile, he was, but also trying to yeah. smile to please Van Hal and like, it was just, it was a really weird, uh, really weird sort of set of uh, scenario. But, um, I remember the one where I think he might have been on the verge of being the sack around that cruise. It must, must have been because of the mince pie. But um, obviously United's press room had set out sort of mince pie and wine for the journalists. It must have been the Christmas or New Year's um, press conference. And um, he was sick of the questions and he just said, said, enjoy the wine and mince pie, goodbye. <laughs> and went and walked out. And, um, I don't think he meant, meant for it to rhyme. It was just the way it came out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the one, the the one I sort of always um, sort of respect him for, especially in terms of the way Van Hal looks himself, that when he had that run in with Neil Custis, and he, oh, he stormed out yeah. at um, press conference, then turned around just before he's about to exit the door and says, "Yeah, you fat man." Is <laughs> <laughs> a is a character. Um, he he's not afraid to speak his mind, Louis, and. That's the thing. For whatever the criticisms were, he, he was a man's man. And I wish the club played him a bit more respect. But damn it, if his football matched his press conferences, mm. man, we would have watched some exciting stuff. No, 100% agree with that. It just about wraps up the podcast. Hope everyone enjoyed that. It was probably good. As we said, um, Louis van Hal's name, sort of the first, mem- first thought you have is quite boring and stale. However, you go through his time at the club and there are um, a lot of things you can look back on with a smile, which is good. 
I'm sure we'll be doing this one in a few weeks um, regarding Jose Mourinho's time at United, which um, will be interesting because it's a lot fresher in the memory. But um, that will be interesting too. But have enjoyed these. Um, I think that was more enjoyable than the David Moyes one. Yeah, uh, more highlights for sure. Mm. <laughs> no, 100%. Now, there seemingly is always more updates now. Now, obviously, in regards to Project Restart and the players had have seemingly returned to sort of what they define as full contact training. I assume that's just normal training in my eyes. So I'm hopefully the next podcast next week is discussing a little bit about that. I think by the time our next podcast comes out, Agalo's contract might be up. Is that right? Yeah, due to expire. Uh, well, it, it expires on Sunday. Okay, so, so um, there are talks ongoing between the club. So I'm we'll sh- see. I'm sure Agalo's name will be heavily... Um, involved next week so look forward to that please um if you're holding your oh sorry i should add i should add there has been an update on um egalo so sorry um with so in china that there is a law at the moment that if you are coming from a country that is a coronavirus hotspot you're not allowed to work into the work in the country until october so even if he were to go to shanghai um, he wouldn't be allowed to play until October. So that's actually helping United in their negotiation to keep him for the rest of the season. Would he so be, we'll see what happens. Would he be starting employment, though, like if he's already technically employed? I suppose. That's yeah, like... that's the thing. He's employed, but he would not be allowed to play hmm. until October. So uh, it, it's helping United in terms of their negotiation. Shanghai won a, a, an additional loan fee, which is understandable. So... I think United will get this deal done, at least until the end of the season. Well, fingers crossed, and hopefully, or make sure you join us next week, and we'll obviously discuss it a little bit further. But um, hopefully you enjoyed the podcast. Please give it a like and subscribe on whatever podcast app, etc. We're closing in on 100 episodes, Larry. I'm getting there. So... um, We'll work on a big name. We have to. Yeah, no, if, if anyone can suggest a name to get on for the 100th episode, please do. Um, until then, I hope everyone has a good weekend. Larry, got much planned? Uh, can't say I do. Uh, d- definitely some more pro clubs. Hopefully eat some good food. Maybe some wine and some mince pies. And on that note, goodbye. So have a good weekend, everyone. Cheers. See ya.